how Atlanta is maneuvering for the DNC. So where you're sitting right now mm-hmm. is the best place in the whole galaxy to live. So why wouldn't you want to have a Democratic <laughs> National <laughs> Convention here? Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Coming up in today's episode, we're going to talk about what the DNC could mean for the city of Atlanta and Georgia politics, the city's efforts to step up the bid to win the big convention, and how the city-state alliance is strengthening when it comes to issues of public safety and economic development at an opportune time for Mayor Andre Dickens and Governor Brian Kemp. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Patricia, if there were doubts that Georgia wasn't already at the center of the political universe, the city could land the Democratic National Convention. Atlanta is one of the three finalists for the sought-after event. We just found out that Houston, which was sort of already seen as an also-ran by many insiders, is officially out of the contest. New York and Chicago are still in the mix, but really, Atlanta boosters see Chicago as the biggest rival for this. But look, Atlanta hasn't had a convention since 1988, and the city and its leading Democratic politicians are pulling at all the stops to get another one. 100%. And you know, I mean, I can remember, it probably was six months ago that Mayor Andre Dickens told you and me at an event that it was already down to Atlanta and Chicago. So that seems to have been the thinking for quite some time now, although not the official word. But now that we're looking at possibly Chicago or Atlanta, you just have to think that Atlanta makes so much sense for Democrats. And this is the pitch that the Democratic party leaders are getting. And when we say party leaders, apparently the decision really comes down to President Joe Biden, Mm -hmm. where he wants to have his nominating convention. Because Georgia is a swing state and a battleground, and because the population of the country is moving to Sunbelt and Southern states, and because Georgia is so diverse and Atlanta has such a rich civil rights history, it just really feels like this is the time that Democrats would naturally come to Atlanta for a nominating convention. Having your convention does not mean that you're going to win the state that year, for the White House. We've seen many, many examples that parties lose the state where they had their convention, but it is at least a chance for them to say, 
this is important to us. And these are the types of voters that we want to have. It gets lots of regional attention as well. And for so many southeastern states to now be supporting Georgia, I think that's very important for the bid as well. Yeah, let's get to that because just this week we reported that more than 60 officials from all over the South and and really beyond the South as well, backed Atlanta's bid for the DNC. These are party leaders in a lot of Southern states. These are elected officials. These are current and former U.S. senators. And really interestingly, it's also Houston's mayor who decided to back Atlanta's bid. Here's what Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens said about that. Houston was in the running last year, and Houston's mayor, uh, Sylvester Turner, also signed on to have Atlanta be the host of the DNC and so many others. That's important because DNC uh, had Houston in the running, and now they chose Atlanta, so they're saying go south. So you have uh, New York and you have Chicago, which have been blue for a long time. Now, here we are showing that when you make investments in Georgia, good things happen for the entire south. Patricia, that's a symbolic gesture in support of Atlanta's bid. But really, when you have the entire region pulling for Georgia like this, and this is an effort really led by former Alabama Senator Doug Jones, who has helped corral a lot of these endorsements, it shows a united front in the South. And what the letter said too, was it also could energize candidates who might've been on the fence about running in some really tough battles all over in 2024, who might have no chance of winning, but could also help the top of the ticket as well from the bottom by energizing voters and giving voters one more reason to go out to the polls. And as the authors of the letter also said, it sends a signal to Republicans that they're not counting Georgia out, that they're not, they can't just concede the South to the GOP. Yeah. And look at who else is on that letter. Um, Congressman Jim Clyburn, hugely important in the Biden orbit. We also know that Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, former Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, has been really important in pushing the Atlanta bid from inside the West Wing. That's something else that Mayor Dickens told us. And um, yeah, I think the Democrats, if they go to Illinois, there is also a push for Democrats to re-engage in the Midwest, places like Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, places where they, um, particularly in Ohio and Indiana, used to be much, much stronger. And now the Midwestern Democrats say, hey, if you're going to pull up stakes from Iowa and not come here for our convention, that's going to be a huge problem for this region. However, you know, the population in a lot of those places is shrinking. The population in many of those places, many of those states is not as diverse as the kind of faces um, that you'd see down here in Atlanta. And so it just kind of feels, maybe I'm biased. I just feel like the Atlanta bid makes more sense this time around. And again, I mean, listen, the Republicans have had their conventions in San Diego and New York. They lost those states by huge margins. The Democrats had their convention in Charlotte and then proceeded to immediately lose North Carolina in that particular presidential race. So it doesn't mean that you're going to win that race, but it does mean you're engaged in that region. And both of those choices when Republicans made those really had a lot to do with the messages that they were sending and who the leadership was. And so all of those things really matter. I think Atlanta also just is basically a professional convention city, as is Chicago. So I think, you know, it's a really even even matchup between these two. I just think given who you look at as sort of the future base of the Democratic Party and not the past base, Georgians have a really strong argument to make. Yeah. So what would this mean? For Atlanta, of course, it would focus the nation and really the world's attention on Georgia politics for a four or five day span straight up with you know just a lot of news coverage and 
and all that, but also 50,000 or so visitors, millions of dollars of economic investment, a lot of security, <laughs> a lot of traffic. And, you know, and beyond that, it's a logistical and organizational just uh, feat, right? Already tens of millions of dollars in cash commitments have been lined up from corporate sponsors and others because it's going to cost tens of millions of dollars to put on this sort of political showcase. Uh, State Farm Arena would be the home of a lot of the events, the major events. And of course, it's not just a major site, but it also has symbolic resonance with Georgia politics because it was the staging ground for the state's biggest early voting site in 2020, where about 40,000 voters cast their ballots at that arena. CNN Center, or what what is now known as CNN Center, I don't know what it'll be called <laughs> next year, <laughs> but uh, the site we now know as CNN Center could be the media staging site. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a fertile ground for conventions. So there's thousands of hotel rooms in the immediate area and tens of thousands of more rooms within you know a 10 or 15 mile radius. So there's lots of hotel space. This is a city that knows how to put on a show. It would bring a lot of security and logistical and infrastructure-related challenges to the city as well because the city's put on lots of big events, Super Bowls and Final Fours and you name it. But again, not since 1988 has Atlanta hosted a political showcase quite like this one. So true. But I think also the city can point to the Olympics as the city being able to really throw a mega monster multi-day event. This is almost like a baby Olympics. You know, you have this um, spread over many, many days. You'll have a huge international press corps. You'll have lots of different events happening at the same time. Concurrently, you'll have a lot of dignitaries, a lot of security concerns, but it will also uh, focus attention here in the same way kind of that the Olympics did. I mean, except for kind of nerds instead of for uh, (laughs) sports fans. A different sort of competition than yeah. 96. Yeah. In terms of actually making a difference for policies that affect the state of Georgia, moving that primary up would have been hugely important. And it could still happen. If you move Georgia up in the primary nominating process for the Democrats, that's when you really start to see potential presidents or current presidents start to make policies specifically for the states that they're trying to win early in. And that can have a huge effect on um, just the types of policies that are proposed and passed and commitments that are made. Um, This would be a little bit less than that, but it would be a chance. I think, first of all, Atlanta would get super dolled up. I am convinced of that. Um, Also, it would keep Georgia on the map. We don't have a statewide race coming up in 2024. We don't have one of those huge Senate races. There's no governor's race on the ballot. So it's going to be a little bit sleepy around here if you don't have something like this putting Georgia on the map. And when I say that, I immediately think of the Fulton County special grand jury investigation. It's not like it's going to be a quiet news day, but there's not going to be a guaranteed news peg like monster event without something like this happening. And it really, again, it just kind of feels to me like the stars are sort of aligned for Atlanta for this convention. Um, But, you know, we'll report back in a week or two and see if that actually happened. You know, it's such a good point because we have been the story the last few election cycles nationally. And of course here in Georgia and as it is shaping up to be 2024, Georgia is a part of the story, but not the story because there are no Senate races or even really competitive U.S. House races and certainly no statewide races unless something unforeseen happens. But you're so right about the other uh, the other opportunity still in the mix, which is Joe Biden has already recommended that Georgia be added to the list of early voting primary states in 2024. 
That one's complicated though, because it's not, you know, it's not like Joe Biden can just wave his magic wand and make it happen like he can with the DNC. He needs Republican sign off. He needs Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, particularly. It's Georgia law gives him the sole authority to set the date of the presidential primary. And without Raffensperger's okay, it ain't going to happen. And so far, what Secretary of State Raffensperger said was he's only willing to do that if it doesn't jeopardize delegates for the GOP. And of course, that means two things. That means one, you have to the RNC to sign off on it. And two, you need the date for the Republican primary to be the same as the Democratic primary. So it's very complicated, but essentially without the RNC okaying it and saying that Georgia won't risk losing delegates by moving up the primary, it's not going to happen. And Governor Kemp has come out and said he's not as supportive of this change. I, I haven't really found any Republicans who are vocally supportive of it, at least if Republican leading elected officials are. So it's an uphill battle to say the least. Democrats want an extension. They have a little bit more breathing room in order to try to prove that they can make this happen. But short of that, it's going to be real tough, you know, without Republican support, without Raffensperger's buy-in. Impossible without Raffensperger's buy-in to make this happen. Um, So, you know, it's Atlanta Democrats especially are looking at this DNC as their best bet right now. And it's a united front from the city and state leaders. This letter that I mentioned was signed by leading Georgia Democrats as well, of course. And it's really interesting because what I'm being told is essentially every meeting that Democrats have with Joe Biden, it's one of the first, if not the first thing that's being said is, hey, don't forget about the DNC. Back in last year when the Braves went to the White House to celebrate their World Series victory, Mayor Dickens was went and joined the group and pitched Biden on it. When Joe Biden came to Ebenezer a few weeks ago to deliver a sermon, they pitched Joe Biden on it. Um, there's been some covert and very overt things they've done, including an ad in the AJC that also coincided with President Biden's visit to Georgia. So a lot of different fronts going on behind the scenes and very upfront. And we'll soon find out whether or not Georgia gets, uh, the Atlanta in particular gets the DNC. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are not only your hosts, but we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. In your first month of unlimited digital access, 
is less than a dollar. That's subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, we spent the first half of the episode talking about the DNC. The second half is kind of on the same lines because it's hard to see a Democratic National Convention in Atlanta without at least the tacit okay, or at least the tacit, not approval, but I guess the understanding of Republican leaders in Georgia who dominate state leadership. And that speaks volumes about Governor Brian Kemp's relationship with Mayor Andre Dickens, because his aides have made it very clear he's not going to take any steps to interfere with the DNC should it decide to come to Atlanta. And we've seen lots of political maneuvering in other states where there's divided leadership over this issue. But Governor Kemp is not going to go that route, apparently. And look, they're going to make political hay of it. I'm sure they'll say, oh, look, the state where there's threatened boycotts over election rules and other conservative policies. Now the Democrats are coming in to hold their main day event in a state where just a few years ago, there was all sorts of threats of boycotts. But at the same time, there's been a real effort by both Kemp and Mayor Dickens to reset their relationship, especially after a couple of years of some really intense feuding between Governor Kemp and former Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. And it's, you know, there was an event earlier this week where I could just see that new symbiosis. I could see that new uh, alliance firsthand where the beginning of the event, it was about human trafficking. It was about a new initiative to, to prevent human trafficking. The beginning of the event was basically the governor, the mayor, and First Lady Marty Kemp all speaking about how important this relationship is. Here's what Marty Kemp said. And if I remember correctly, the mayor so proudly said last year that he considered us friends. So I knew then that we were going to have a great partnership working together, and I appreciate that. Patricia, not so long ago, <laughs> that was kind of inconceivable to hear the governor or his, or his wife saying nice things about the mayor of Atlanta. Yes. When the governor gave his State of the State address recently, I didn't sit in the press gallery. I sat up in the visitor's gallery. And the first person who I saw in the visitor's gallery sitting right um, when you walk in was Mayor Andre Dickens on hand to watch the State of the State address. That is not so unusual to have a mayor at a sort of a large state event. Um, However, he was in a great mood. He stood up to applaud a number of the initiatives that Governor Brian Kemp was naming. Governor Brian Kemp did not use the opportunity to take a swipe at Atlanta as he has in the past in some of his previous states of the state. Um, You just get the sense that both of these gentlemen see the benefit and are almost relieved not to have to go through the motions of being in a huge fight with each other. It doesn't seem to serve the city or the state well. It does serve politics well, but neither of these guys is up for re-election for a long time. Kemp's not going to be up for re-election unless he does something we're not expecting. Um, he, he doesn't have another election in front of him. Dickens isn't up for another three years. Both of them have this long runway to really focus on policy ahead of politics. But Dickens really got to work on the politics right away when he got elected and started um, opening the process to have a relationship with state leaders the day after he won election, the day after election day. 
that morning, he starts calling state leaders on their cell phones before breakfast. (laughs) And they're like, Mm -hmm. why are you calling me? Aren't you tired? (laughs) Um, So he just made it clear that, that he was reaching out to them first. He didn't wait for them to reach out to him. He has continued to be a rather constant presence up at the state capitol. He has focused a lot on building those relationships. And you see the fruit of that when there are crises like there um, could have been in Atlanta over the weekend, we didn't see any um, major, we didn't see any violent protests over the weekend, but we could have. But leading up to the weekend, both Mayor Dickens and Governor Kemp put out statements. They were not contradictory of each other about sort of potential unrest in the city. They both were calling for peaceful protests. Then you get to something that's a little bit more proactive, like the DNC, or you get to something that's extremely proactive, like the Grace Commission, that is really just the very, that is the baby of Marty Kemp, who's the first lady. And uh, there's the mayor right there, just leaning in, showing up the uh, the events, giving all of the resources that the city can. And it's just, a, it's just feels like a totally different day right now between the city and the state. There used to be such antipathy between whoever was the mayor and whoever was the governor. There was a big fight about who would walk across the street to go see yeah. him. The city hall and the Capitol are literally across the street from each other. They're kind of diagonal, kind of catty corner. But it used to be, no, you come over here. I'm not going over there. You come over here. You know, so it was just this back and forth. Dickens doesn't do that. He just goes, he just walks over to the Capitol with sometimes with his staff, sometimes not. The governor, I think, has been very reciprocal in wanting to build that relationship as well. So, I, you know, maybe it's the calm before the storm, but at this moment, it feels like a a really strategic and somewhat genuine. I hate to say genuine, yeah. but it kind of yeah. seems like they like each other. No, I mean, you heard Marty Kemp. They seem like they're genuine friends. I mean, I don't think they rival the relationship that former Governor Nathan Deal had with then Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed, where they were very, very close. But it seems like the f- friendship is real. It's certainly uh, very different than his relationship with Keisha Lance Bottoms. And they, they both had reasons, you know, to be at odds with each other over guns, immigration, coronavirus policy, a lot of different flashpoints. But you know, as you said, this has been a hallmark other than the the anomaly at the time of the Deal-Reed relationship. This has been a hallmark of City Hall and Gold Dome is that governors turned City Hall into useful political foils, Democrats or Republicans, right? Democrats did it long before there were GOP governors attacking Atlanta mayors, using it to galvanize and energize their bases. And mayors swung right back to promote their priorities, and we've seen this difference. We've seen this strategic shift. And a couple of things is hard to pinpoint, right? It's, you know, other than what you said, they certainly have a more collaborative relationship. But, you know, between the lines, it's Dickens, Mayor Dickens has showed up, not just at State of the State, but the governor's inauguration a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. The governor joined the mayor last year to open a police precinct in, in Buckhead to quell the talk of the secession, the breakaway Buckhead movement. As I noted, Kemp hasn't taken any steps to interfere with the DNC bib. And Dickens... We weren't talking about Mayor Dickens as a top surrogate for Stacey Abrams. We weren't talking about his role in the 2022 campaign. He certainly supported Stacey Abrams. He even spoke at her her um, her election night party. But, you know, he didn't serve as one of her chief surrogates. And he refrained, at least as far as I can tell, from personally criticizing the governor, something that, you know, something that his predecessor certainly did a lot. That's exactly right. And even in a different day, you could have envisioned a Georgia governor really giving a little bit more oxygen to that Buckhead City breakaway movement. 
if nothing else, than just to jam the mayor of Atlanta because it is just such reliable politics when you have a GOP primary coming up. And he did have a GOP primary coming up. And David Perdue was running to create Buckhead City, or at least to make sure that there would be a vote on it. Mm -hmm. And Kemp just really held back on that. And when he showed up at that event of the police precinct, it showed to me not only were these guys both very cordial, but they were really on the same page. Dickens was doing things that Kemp was happy to see, like wanted to see. And you sometimes felt with Keisha Lance Bottoms that she didn't want to meet the governor halfway and he didn't want to meet her halfway. They just were so far apart. You could just sort of feel the friction between them. And the policy was just the beginning and sort of the it was almost like the personalities were on top of that. Um, and they criticized each other immensely, frequently, publicly on different cable channels. It just was sort of devolving and it felt like it was not serving the city and it uh, didn't feel like it was serving the state either. When Dickens decided to make one of his first moves to open a police precinct in the middle of Buckhead, I felt like that went a long way toward layering on policies and decisions that the state wanted to see happen in the first place. So it wasn't just that he was calling them. It was that he was also really focused on the same issues that they were focused on, but for his own reasons. His own voters had told him, this is what we care about. This is what we're worried about. And it wasn't just in Buckhead that people were worried about crime. It's all over the city. And he's really made that a focus of his administration. And um, we know from hearing Governor Kemp, that is also uh, one of his top two priorities as well. So there's a real strong overlay on the policy piece of this um, for the two of them. And I think they see the benefit in working together instead of working against each other. And this human trafficking event was just sort of put it on vivid display of this new relationship. But really, I think the best recent example were the protests over the last few weeks over the um, the public safety center, Cop City is the shorthand from a lot of the, the critics, but this public safety center that Atlanta would build um, to train law enforcement officers that has been the center of a lot of backlash, a lot of unrest, and of course the protests that turned violent. And then a week later, governor mobilized National Guard troops uh, in case the protest over the death of Tyree Nichols uh, turned violent in Atlanta. And, and, and they didn't, but the governor had mobilized about a thousand uh, National Guard troops just in case. But the reason why I bring up this example is when the governor deployed guard troops in 2020 doing the Black Lives Matter protest, um, right after the Georgia State Patrol Atlanta headquarters was ransacked by vandals. Mayor Bottoms told Good Morning America that not only did she disagree with the move, but she was also not consulted about it. Flash forward to right now, aides say City Hall and the Gold Dome were in direct coordination over this this latest move to deploy National Guard troops, and that so were the mayor and the governor. And Kemp told me, the governor told me, that Dickens was a great communicator, that they're always in contact. So I think that in a nutshell tells you the difference between the previous relations, they're very strained, and the more positive. I wouldn't say they're they're on the level of Deal Reed yet. I don't think they, you know, I haven't found many people who say they need to be. But the civic and corporate boosters who want to see good, strong relations between the city and the state, they say there needs to just be an open line of communication. Because there are lots of areas where they can compromise and have consensus over, including public safety, but also economic development, major events, 
the next Olympics, <laughs> certainly the DNC, all those things that Georgia, you know, is angling for in the city of the city of Atlanta are angling for. They need state and city coordination. Yeah. And when you think about Atlanta and Georgia trying to bring new businesses to the area, we're in competition with North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina. You just don't want to have a dysfunctional level of government be putting on display when you're trying to bring in um, new people and new businesses. And I think that this has been a just sort of just a relief to people who make that their living and make that their business. This is something they know they can go in and have a meeting with one, two, and, you know, potentially even someday both at the same time, you just don't have to worry about any, this kind of level of friction right now. Now there are lots and lots of things that these two men disagree on, um, but they seem to be focusing their time right now on things that they can agree on. And even for uh, the uh, mayor and the governor to be at an event at the airport together, there were days when the state was trying to take over the airport from the city of Atlanta. And um, it's just it's just such a different tableau to see them there for the same reason, rowing in the same direction and both saying very positive things about this joint effort where the Grace Commission really does need the help of the city of Atlanta because a lot of terrible human trafficking activity flows through the Atlanta airport and that entire area right around the Atlanta airport. So um, they really do need to work in conjunction. And so that's what they're doing. I mean, I think we can all, <laughs> we can sit there and, and watch it and enjoy it right now. Um, it may not last. Politics have a way of interfering um, and events have a way of changing things very quickly as well. Um, but for the time being, it seems like a really solid foundation for these two to be working with. And that's a really good point to end on, which is also the fact that these threats still loom in loom large in the minds of Mayor Dickens and his allies because the Buckhead City movement could come back, roaring back. The airport takeover bid could come roaring back. And look, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones was a supporter of both the initiatives I just mentioned. He is not going to vocally advocate for them. He is not going to, they are not part of his priorities. I sat down with them a few days ago. Neither of them were part of his wish list at all. But he also said, look, when I asked him specifically about Buckhead, I'm also not going to interfere. He's not going to, he's not going to be a leading campaigner for Buckhead cityhood for certain, but he's also not going to block any Republican state senators who might bring that issue up. So he's not disavowing it. He's, he's letting the process play out in a way that his predecessors, you know, we, we talked about it plenty last year, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, he said, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> Speaker David Ralston, he said, this is not going anywhere on my watch. Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, he's not in the same position they were in. He's 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 new in power, um, so he's not taking that stance yet. Um, but that's notable too, because Mayor Dickens probably wakes up thinking, okay, these still these things could still come back. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, absolutely. And so many things have changed about the Buckhead City movement. One, it just feels like the the oxygen and the impetus have mostly drained out of that movement. However, the politics are different. And to your point, there is not somebody at the head of the state Senate saying this is 100% not happening. We're hearing from quite a bit from sort of a, a variety of leaders down at the Capitol who say, listen, I'm not planning on doing this. But if an individual member wants to bring it forward, that's a different story. That that was not the posture the last time around. So while the external energy may be lower, also the the barriers to a Buckhead City inside the Capitol are slightly lower too as well. So it's still a space very much worth watching. Well, that is all the time we have for this 
episode coming up on Friday's show, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Producer Shaney B is standing by. Looking forward to taking those calls. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might wanna know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.